And so many people are so focused on this filing piece because that's required by law and that's important, of course. But uh, this whole tax planning piece is they're like, well, they, they just don't want to put the effort in to try to understand it and they're missing out on things. And then I always just say, the tax code was written the way it was for a reason. It, it, the, the tax code is, is thousands and thousands of pages for a reason. There's, there's areas that we as business owners or individuals in certain areas too should be taken advantage of. And it's just whether we're doing it or not. Welcome into the Free Retiree Show, your go-to podcast for your career, your money, avoiding the big mistakes, and where we learn from people that have done amazing things. I'm your host, Wealth Manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside my main man, interview coach, career mentor, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? And everyone's favorite attorney, he's back, everybody, he's back, Matthew McElroy. <laughs> What's going on? Hey, uh, Matt, this is your first recording back since baby number two. And I think Serge, myself and the audience want to know, have you lost the baby yet? Like, did, did you misplace him? Like, is he crawling around San Martin, California somewhere? No, the mother is very strict on me and you could say micromanages things. So I don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> is he boxing yet or kickboxing? Yet? Soon. He's got gloves. Soon. <laughs> if you are the child of uh, Matthew McGill, you learn kickboxing, Muay Thai fighting within the first three months. That's a must, <laughs> right? Yeah, didn't, hey, wait, didn't you just visit your uh, little nephew yesterday that's like the same age? Yeah, I have a uh, little Sawyer now. He, he is my new uh, nephew. And so, yeah, I just got to see him yesterday. So that was fantastic. He can enroll in my kickboxing classes too. <laughs> <laughs> so for today's episode, we Ladies and gentlemen, we were talking about taxes. Big thing on a lot of people's mind. We've got a lot of requests for this one. And this is something that we all got to look at right now. So according to some recent news from the Congressional Budget Office, the economic forecast, GDP growth is expected to grow by 7.4% in 2021. So that's awesome news. Is that real? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's real. <laughs> things, are, things are growing. So, I don't which, know. which news site reported that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the Congressional Budget Office. They are legitimate. Okay, neutral. Okay. <laughs> However, though, the deficit is expected to go to $3 trillion for the year, which is smaller than last year, but it's three times the amount it was in 2019. So this $3 trillion deficit, to just put it out there and let you guys figure out like what that means, second largest since World War II. The only one being larger was the one that we racked up in 2020. And the CBO is expecting that the deficit should grow by $1.2 trillion per year till 2031, which means, if you guys haven't got where I'm going with this, Uncle Sam, that stingy, greedy uncle, he's going to need some money. So we already pay a lot in taxes. I mean, I know I pay quite a bit and I'm sure you guys are all in the same boat. We're trying to figure out what can we do to lessen that burden? Because when you look at all the taxes that gets taken out of your check, and we're going to go over that today, like what exactly are you paying to the government? You lose some of it, but we got an expert on today that's going to let us know what exactly are they taking from you and how to some strategies to help lessen the tax burden. So today's guest is Mike Jaskeski. He's a fantastic resource in the world of taxes. He is well known for his small business tax saving podcast, and he's got amazing strategies, strategies that are outside the box that most CPAs, accountants never really 
do for their clients. So I'm a big fan of his. And Mike, glad to have you on the show today. So today, we'd love to learn about what is actually taken from us when it comes to taxes and then some strategies to lower it because I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting hammered. So Mike, give us all the advice you can, man. Yeah, well, we could be here for days and weeks if we were giving you all the advice I could. But, you know, I think we could touch on a, a few things, at least our top of mind and, and things that we can do initially. And really, when we sit down with a potential person that is paying too much in taxes, we're really looking at what strategies are available. And this is part of what we call tax planning. And so when most people think of taxes in general, they're thinking of those things that come out of their paycheck once a week or every other week. And then they're thinking about preparing and filing tax documents at the end of the year. So most people think of tax, they say, okay, I see my accountant once a year during tax time, I'm filling out a form, send it over to the state and local governments as well as the IRS, and I move on till next tax season. And really what our goal is with the Tax Savings Podcast and just my mission is to get people to change that mindset. Tax preparation and tax filing is important. It's required by law and it should be done accurately, but that's only a small piece of taxes. And that's actually come at the end of what we consider taxes. What we think most people should be doing in the meantime is doing tax planning. And that tax planning is trying to dig and find what are ways that are are in the tax code that are legal strategies that we can implement to make sure we're paying the least amount in taxes as legally possible. And tax planning is something that happens during the year. So January through December is when you do your tax planning. Ideally, we love to do tax planning in June just because we know, okay, we're halfway through the year. We have an idea of where our income is going to end up for this year. And we also have a half a year left to implement kind of whatever strategies that we want to implement. So we like to do tax planning in June, but either way, tax planning generally should be done during the year. Once 1231 hits and now we're into a new year, majority of the strategies that are available are out the door. Now, there's still some things that we can do during tax time to reduce our tax burden from the prior year, but the majority of good options at that point are out the door. And so when we look at tax planning, there's kind of a few different things. We have what we call baseline tax strategies. And uh, baseline tax strategies are these things that are really easy to understand easy to implement. Many people are doing them. They're you know just kind of digging and, and there's usually no cost to implement it. So things like this, if you're an individual, this would be a, things like a college savings plan, a 529 plan for your children, or just understanding capital gains in general. How do capital gains work? What is the difference between a short-term and a long-term capital gain? This is things like HSAs, maxing your retirements, those types of things. If you're a business owner, this is things like maximizing deductions, being an S corporation, hiring our kids in our business, set up a retirement account for us as a business owner. So those are kind of what we consider baseline tax strategies. Again, easy to understand, easy things to implement. And those are extremely important. We always say, let's exploit baseline tax strategies as much as we can. Then we have what we call advanced tax strategies. And advanced tax strategies are generally a little bit more complex, a little bit harder to understand. Sometimes they may have some type of cost with them because we're building some type of structure underneath it or something like that. And sometimes they are a little bit more riskier. Now, of course, nothing that's against the law, but sometimes the IRS doesn't like when people are, are, are saving a lot of money in taxes. And so sometimes an advanced strategy could be what we consider risky, just meaning that it's, it has a more opportunity for the IRS to say, hey, I need you to prove what's going on here. And so that's what we always say. Let's use the, the free ones. Let's use the easy ones first, utilize those as much as possible. 
And once we've done that, then we can move to advanced tax strategies. What can we do to lower our tax liability from that standpoint forward? And typically an advanced tax strategy is going to start once we have you know, household income of $250,000 or more. Or if we hit an income level of say a million dollars, and that's kind of a continuously income level, that's where that door really opens up for creativity when we look at that. The idea behind all of this is saying, let's shift from thinking of preparation and filing when we think of taxes to tax planning. What can I do to lower my tax liability today? Yeah, I love that. I think for me, I'm more of the latter. Like I see the tax guy once a year. We make sure we file our taxes and that's it. But I think the baseline strategies are pretty interesting to me though. Like, are there of those, the ones you mentioned, are there any ones that we should be prioritizing just for our, like maybe people earlier in their careers? Like I know you said maximizing 401k, any of the other ones that are like, should be top of mind. Yeah. And I would say when we look at tax strategies, we have to also kind of then split that up from there. When we look at baseline tax strategies, we have personal. So this would be a W-2 earner, no business or anything like that. And then we have a business owner. And so on the personal side, some of the key ones that that always come to mind is obviously being able to uh, max out a retirement account, especially if you're getting a match. The thing we look at retirement accounts, assuming it's not a Roth account, is that when we look at those accounts, it, it's basically taking getting a deduction today and then potentially in moving that income or that tax on that to down the road. Now, of course, if it's a Roth, it's the exact opposite. But that's one thing that retirement maximizing retirement accounts is great. I would always recommend someone at least to your match because that's that's free money that your employer is matching you to. But you know we might want to look into deeper strategies, and then HSA is a big one. HSA, especially if you have a high deductible plan, is a strategy where you get a deduction going in. Your money grows tax free if you invest in an HSA, do whatever you want to do, and then when you withdraw, assuming you use it for qualified medical expenses, it's tax free. And so as a personal side, this is a huge one for me. And I get so many people, especially young individuals that say, I'm perfectly healthy. Why do I want to put money into an HSA? And I encourage them to think about it deeper and think of this is one of the only strategies where you get a deduction going in, grows tax-free, and you get no tax coming out of there. And so even though that you might be healthy today, at some point, uh, more than likely, you're going to have some medical costs. And that might not even be from being non-healthy. That could be from having a kid like, like Matt just had. That, that costs money. And when we look at what an HSA can be used for, it's not just medical costs. You can use things like vitamins and stuff like that. There's a site out there where you can see what an HSA is used for. But again, this is a great strategy where go in tax, you get a deduction going in, grow tax-free, no no tax on the withdrawal, assuming it's used for a qualified medical expense. And so this is where we say, use an HSA. If you're healthy now, great. Let's put a bunch of money into an HSA. Let's try to max that thing out and let's grow this thing. You can use, you can have a self-funded HSA where you use those HSA funds and you buy rental properties and you buy, invest in Bitcoin. You, you can invest in HSA, assuming you have the right provider. You can invest however you want with these. So it, it serves almost as that retirement account with just better benefits from it. And so instead of reti- using retirement funds for medical expenses down the road, now you have this HSA that's just going to cover that, that you may have grown. Let's say you put $10,000 in Bitcoin in there and it turns into 300000 That's completely tax-free money that you have grown in that HSA. But I think it's key to think about this as a W-2 versus a business owner when you're thinking of that tax planning ideas. Yeah, the HSA is a really great tool. It's like a triple tax strategy. And then what pe- most people don't realize is even outside of what your insurance will cover and all that stuff later in retirement, average couple, 
is around a quarter million dollars in health expenses. So it can be a really powerful tool. Mike, I want to just give the listeners like a rundown of like, what does the taxes look like when it hits our paychecks? Like, what are we, what are we losing? What are we losing to uncle Sam? What are are they sifting out of our money? Yeah. So there's a lot of, when when you're looking at a a W-2 earner, when we look at taxes, you'll you'll notice if you look at your pay stub, there's just a bunch of different items for all sorts of things. You're not really sure what's going on. Who the heck is FICA? Who's FICA? Yeah, FICA is a bad There's an OSID <laughs> one or OSAD or something. Yeah. So you have what you have just federal withholding and state withholding. That's going to be when you file your tax return at the end of the year, basically what you're doing is your employer is prepaying the amount of tax that you'll eventually determine if you paid enough or not enough when you file your taxes. And so the US is a pay-as-you-go tax system, meaning that as you earn money, you owe taxes on it. And so a lot of people get confused on this because they say, well, I just file my tax return once a year. But the problem is that if you told your employer, I don't want to have any federal withholding and I don't want to have any state withholding, they'd say, fine, here's your money. But when you come to the end of the year, you're going to have this big amount due. There's going to be interest and penalties on that because you were not paying those funds as you earned it. So the US government works as a pay-as-you-go system, whereas you earn money you pay it. And that's where as a business owner, you start to pay quarterly estimated taxes and things like that. So you have just your normal income tax, your money based on wherever tax bracket you're in and depending on your deductions and things like that. That's going to be your federal withholding and state withholding. The next big one is going to be FICA taxes. And that's broken up into two pieces. We have social security and Medicare. And the combination of those two, so FICA is roughly going to be seven and a half percent of your income is what you pay to FICA. And what many employees don't understand is that your employer is also matching that. So if you're making $100,000 a year, let's say, and FICA is roughly 7.5%, you're paying 7,500 yourself and that's getting taken out of your paychecks. And your employer is also matching that same amount and sending it to the government. So that's what we call when we when you're a business owner, that's what we call self-employment taxes. Self-employment taxes is both the employee and the employer portion combined. So we have federal withholding, state withholding, FICO, which is Social Security, Medicare. And then it just depends on your state. Every state has different types of withholdings and different things that need to go in there. And on the flip side, your employer also has federal unemployment that they're paying on your behalf and state unemployment that you're paying on your behalf. So those are there's some taxes that you might see in your paycheck that the are actually being paid related to your employment, but you don't see them because your employer is actually covering those for you. Yeah. And we're in California, the three of us. So we're getting screwed the most probably. Oh yeah. Whole it's, country, right? it's up there. Yeah. No, California is brutal <laughs> when it comes to taxes. But when we look at, when we look at, okay, what is the best, what, what can somebody do to ensure that they're paying least amount of taxes? There's a lot of these baseline type strategies, but the one thing that we always tend to lean towards is let's think about starting a business or purchasing a rental property. And that doesn't have to be a replacement of your job. So if you're a lawyer, you don't have to say, well, I'm going to start a business. So I'm going to quit my lawyer job and I'm just going to be a business owner. That's fine, but it doesn't have to be that way. You could be a lawyer that likes to do consulting on the side, completely unrelated. You could do consulting for soccer camps and earn some type of income, but it doesn't have to be a replacement. And that's where that door of baseline strategies just opens up so much more. And we often talk about, when we talk about being a business owner, we talk about this idea of maximizing deductions. And, and so Lee, just to go back to kind of what you were talking about, 
as a W-2 earner, we have gross wages, then we have all these taxes taken out, so federal withholding, state withholding, FICA, and then we come to the bottom, and that's just what, our, what amount that we receive. That's our take-home amount. And we call that after-tax dollars. So our money's all been taxed, and whatever we get into our bank account is already been taxed, and any spending that we do is using money that's already been taxed. And so we saw this a lot when COVID hit. You were working in an office, now you're forced to go home. And so you, when you go home, you're paying for internet that you maybe didn't have, or you're paying for a more robust internet, or you might've went and bought a desk, or you might've went and bought various different things for this home office that you have now because you're forced to work at home. And as a W-2 earner, there is nothing, you, don't, you get no deduction for that. You go buy a desk, you have a home office, you have this internet, you don't get any kind of deduction for that as a W-2 owner. But let's flip the switch and think of it as a business owner. With a business owner, you have sales or revenue, and then you have all these expenses that go into it. And then whatever's left over after that is what you get taxed on. And so our idea on this is how can we turn after-tax spending into pre-tax spending? So if we look at that same example, a W-2 earner that, that got forced to work at home due to COVID, as a business owner, that desk that we bought business deduction. That home office that we're using, business deduction. That internet that we're using for work, business deduction. And so this is kind of the the idea or thought process of owning a business is this is spending that we're doing either way. We're buying that desk either way. We're paying for that internet either way. You have a home either way. But instead with a business owner, now we're getting a tax deduction for that versus if we're just a W-2 earner, we get no tax deduction for it. So this is one thing we talk about maximizing deductions. So many people think, well, maximize deductions means that I'm going to have to go buy a truck that I don't need or buy this new computer that I don't need so I can just get a tax deduction from it. And we're saying that's not the idea behind it. The idea behind it is how can we take spending that you're going to do no matter what and find a business purpose for that and get a business deduction for it. So now instead of that being an after-tax spending, now we're moving it to pre-tax spending. We're getting an expense for it prior to that funds being taxed. And that is kind of where this idea of, and this can work with a rental property. A lot of these strategies are part of, you just have to have a business or a rental property in it. And I kind of talked about at the beginning, hiring kids is a baseline tax strategy. There's a way that you can hire your kids, get a business deduction, and your kids pay no income taxes on that. So you get a business deduction, transferring money to your kids, and they pay no income taxes on that. Now, if you're paying for basketball camps and all these other things for your children, and that's typically money that you spend after it's already been taxed, well, now for a business owner, we could find a way to turn that money into pre-tax. So now we're not going to pay for basketball camps out of your business, but let's say you go buy a rental property. You're going to have your kid maybe paint some things or clean up around the house as a tenant leaves or something like that, and you're just going to pay them a reasonable rate for the work that they're doing. Now they take those funds that you paid them, you got a deduction for it, and now they can go pay for their own basketball camp if that's what you want to do. So it's just kind of this mindset shift of where can I find, if I'm a business owner and if I can find a way to become a business owner, there's so much of that spending that you're already doing that we can find a business purpose to and now get a tax deduction for it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Like it's super creative. Let's Since we got like maybe a good example, Sergio, he's our guy that works at LinkedIn. And his wife mainly stays at home, but she's got, she's starting up her own like hair business and she's trying to grow that. Like, do you see like that would be like a really great, like 
synergy between the two of them to like help with taxes? Absolutely. Because now you have, you know, let's say you, your, your wife is doing this hair business and let's just throw some rough numbers out there. Let's say in a year she makes $20,000 from that. Well, on paper, after we kind of think about these tax deductions that we're able to use, she's going to take a home office in there. That's going to cut it down. She's going to have a cell phone bill that you're typically not getting a deduction for. Now, a portion of your cell phone bill, we're getting a deduction for. She might have a, a board of advisors that she's working with, which could be you, Sergio. You're part of her board of advisors or maybe some in-laws or something like that. And, and you're going to meet once a month and talk about how our business is doing. Well, now we have a, a lunch or something like that, that we have a business deduction for. And so there's a lot of this spending on things that you would already be doing, but now you're going to get a deduction for it. So at $20,000 of income, we might only be paying taxes on 5,000 of it, maybe zero, maybe a couple thousand of it, whatever we can, that makes sense for the type of business that we're operating, that we can find a business purpose to, we're going to clear out a lot of that income doing spending by just shifting some of that spending that you're already doing into a different area. So like if Sergio is going to be the janitor, she would not give him a board of advisors seat. Like what if he's just a lonely janitor? Well, that's all I'll be. He's not giving me a board seat. <laughs> yeah, everyone needs a good janitor on their board of advisors. <laughs> <laughs> that would be you, Serge. <laughs> Mike, I had kind of a dumb question maybe, but like what defines a business? Like if she's only, let's just say someone like, is it a dollar amount? Or can I just say I'm starting a business tomorrow? We don't have any income, but I have a business. Because then I, it's like a two-part question because then I get the legal aspect of it. Matt, like you might want to chime in here, but that's like, <laughs> I, I, I think starting a business to me sounds awesome, but I would get, I get worried when I'm trying to get creative with all these deductions and then thinking about the legal aspect too. Yeah. So th there's, you don't have to have an entity structure to start a business. You can operate as sole proprietorship. And I'm sure Matt will tell you why that might not be a good idea, but it's totally fine, totally possible. But when we're talking about what is determined to be a business, we, we need to look at profit motive. Do we have intentions to make a profit from this? And so that's where we kind of get into this hobby versus business. When we're being a business owner, we want this idea of, we want to be a business owner. We don't want this to be a hobby. And, and essentially kind of what the difference is between that is a hobby is something that continuously loses money with no intention or motive to ever turn a profit. So if I like golfing, I can't just say, I'm going to be a golf coach and I'm just going to go golfing every day. And if I hopefully see someone on the course, I'm going to go to them and say, hey, your grip is a little bit off here. So you should look at that. And, and I'm going to get a deduction for all that golf I play. That would be more of like, a hobby. But if I'm starting a business and or I'm, I want to be a golf coach and I go and say, okay, I'm going to buy some of this video equipment. I'm going to make some advertisements and I, I plan to make a profit from this and make it into a business, then it's a business. But it doesn't necessarily need to be profitable immediately to make it a business. It's just that motive or that intention to have a profit on it sometimes. So I, I usually say it's pretty- yeah, That's helpful. It's pretty black and white of what's a hobby versus what's a business, even though you can have a business that sure feels like a hobby, but it's actually a business. That's obviously a, a great place to be. Is there like a threshold amount of income where you would like kind of draw the line of that? Like what, like say like an example that, that we're playing with here is what if she only makes 2000 for the year? You know what I mean? Is that 
how would you handle that? I guess that for tax purposes. Yeah, totally fine. That's that 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 could be a business. And you know, you see a lot of this in that MLM type space where you're selling a, a skincare product or something like that, and you're just getting started. You might make a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, or something. Of course, you still get all those deductions that, that are related to that. Now, we also don't want to go overboard with it, so we're not going to be like, okay, we're taking eighty percent of our cell phone bill on. of income. It's like, okay, well, maybe that 80% maybe turns into 10% or something like that. Because in reality, if you're using your cell phone 80% for business, maybe we should be producing more income from that. So we can kind of adjust those types of numbers a little bit. But yeah, for sure. If you're in business and, and, and have a profit motive and tend to make money from this, that dollar threshold does not matter. Obviously, if you're making $2,000 a year, losing money every single year for 10 years straight or four years or five years straight, it would be harder to support that that's a business versus a hobby. But you know, as long as there's the dollar amount is not necessarily something that we need to key in on. So what you're saying is like the, the deductions kind of have to be proportionate to the, the income in some ways? Yeah, exactly. So when we look at what is considered a business deduction, we say it should be ordinary and necessary. So ordinary for the type of business that you're in, if we're doing MLM type skincare product that we're selling, the expense that we're, if we want to take a business deduction for it, it should be ordinary in that industry, ordinary for that type of, of work. And the necessary thing is it just means it's necessary to get clients. It's necessary to keep clients. It's necessary to keep an employer, get an employer, something like that. So when we look at what an, a business expense has to do, we look at it has to be ordinary and necessary. If so, it qualifies. But yeah, when we look at percentages, and so this is kind of the idea of, of some of that spending that we're already doing. This could be a home office. This could be uh, a cell phone bill. This could be your internet. That's where we want to make make that proportion and say, okay, what percentage of those costs are, are related to the business? And yeah, if we're making $1,000 a year, $2,000 a year, saying that 80% of your cell phone bill is related to the business might be tough to defend. But saying 10, 20% is, I, I think that's totally fine. And it, again, too, is where are we going with this? So you could make $2,000 in the first year because we're all doing development. We're trying to figure out what do we, you know, what do we want to do or, or we're trying to build this business. But ultimately, the, if the goal is to next year make 60000 70000 80000 well, now that 80% cell phone bill makes sense because we just haven't opened up that floodgate of income yet. We're just building that process currently. Yeah, I'd imagine a lot of new you know, people that are starting businesses and stuff would run into that problem where the first year is you know, kind of rough like that mm-hmm. and they put a lot more in than maybe they get out. And so, yeah, it's, it's good to know how to, to handle those kind of situations. Yeah, and that's totally fine. Typically, when we look at hobby, we're looking like three out of five years. So if we lose money for five years straight, that's probably looking like a hobby. Now, I would caveat that though too, because we're, we're looking at two different pieces, what they call ordinary income and, and passive income. And ordinary income means just you're actively participating. It's what you're spending time on this. So this would be things like being a consultant, doing that type of business, being a part of an MLM. Where passive is just saying, here's some money, now, now you're just going to pay me, but I don't have to really do anything for it. And, and so that would be something like interest on a savings account or uh, a rental property where we just kind of fund that rental property. Sure, we might 
place a tenant once a year or something like that, but it's, we're not really active in that business, that's considered passive income. So most people that have rental properties are going to see losses for a good portion of the beginning years because we have a bunch of depreciation that we're getting from it. And that's totally fine. Uh, it's just more on that ordinary income side. So those things that we're actively participating in, uh, where you know you run into issues if we're constantly losing money. Not to say that it's fine, especially if you have a business where you do have depreciation or you're buying equipment or buying vehicles, there's a good chance that you will be at a loss at least the, the first few years. And Mike, let's go to the, the advanced tax planning strategies. Like, what, what are some ones that we should think about? Maybe people that have assets that have appreciated or have super high income. What are some advanced strategies that are out there? Yeah. And I mean, these get a little complex, so they're a little bit more detailed. But you know, it, when we look at advanced planning, there, there's a few different factors that come into what strategy we're going to lean on. Some advanced planning is just we have high income. So we're a W-2 earner that does well. And typically we say that's $250,000 or more when that strategy starts to open up. And so that's just, we're not selling a business. We're not selling our crypto. We're not doing anything like that. We're just making money and, and earning a higher income. And, and there's tax strategies available for that. Then we run into the issue, we have a highly appreciated asset. So we bought a bunch of Bitcoin at $500. Now it's at 50,000 and now we're selling a ton of it. And we have a $1.2 million gain that we're sitting on. That's going to be a one-time event. We're not going to see that every single year because it's just that appreciated asset that we're selling once. Now, sure, we could replicate that in some other coin or something else, but typically that's just going to be a one-time event where we have a big gain on a highly appreciated asset. That's going to be a different strategy. You know, a lot of times when we look at advanced planning, we look at charitable structures. So they have a charitable lead trust, charitable remainder trusts, things like that, that we can utilize for it. But again, we're looking at advanced side, we're looking at a couple different things. What type of strategies we want to use will depend on, are we doing this because it's a consistent income? Is this just an ordinary income? Or are we looking for an advanced tax strategy because we had a pretty abnormal one-time event that we need to try to squash a big tax bill on. And that's just going to depend on kind of which angle you go there. Where they come into play, again, about $250,000 is where a tax strategy like that can start to open up the door. That's going to be for more ordinary income. Some of that one-time event income, tax strategies say $400,000, $500,000 or more up until as you get into that more million-dollar range, more strategies become available. In a lot of these two, like I said, they're a little bit complex, they're a little bit harder to understand. And a lot of these two, we want to make sure that we're doing our research on them and we're working with a lawyer or a vendor that does these that we can know, like, and trust. Because as we get into some of this more advanced tax planning and we're talking about how do we implement it and that, that, that riskiness involved with it, the reason some of these become risky is because people set up sham operations. Uh, a captive insurance company is an example. And a captive insurance company basically just means that we're buying insurance that we can't find on the market. We're getting a business deduction for it. And there's some tax strategies involved in it. And the, an example of, of people that are doing kind of sham operations of these is, let's say you're an internet marketing business in, in Manhattan there would be companies out there that say, let's buy captive and let's do a million dollar policy in case the volcano erupts and your business goes under in Manhattan. That's likely never going to happen. And that's, 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 but we can buy insurance for it. Does that make sense? No. But let's say you're an internet marketing company. We might have buy insurance that says, hey, if the FTC ever comes in and says this type of marketing strategy that you utilize 
is no longer valid and your business goes from a $10 million business to zero because of this way that you're doing marketing, well, that could be an insurance that we could purchase and that would make a lot more sense than Volcano insurance. So that's why I'm just saying like in these advanced strategies, there's a lot of people out there that just are not doing them right. Some might never get caught, but that is where the IRS is targeting. They want to make sure that if we're doing a strategy like this, they want to make sure that you're doing it correctly. And if you make a little misstep here or there, they're going to attack you. And that's where it's just finding that vendor, finding that lawyer or attorney that's setting these up and ensuring that you're well aligned with them and, and know their and trust them. And it all makes sense to you. Understanding anything involved with tax is, is so important than just saying, hey, I trust my accountant, so I'm just going to go with it. You know, I, I don't like that idea. I, I want you to feel, not saying you have to be an expert in whatever we're talking about, but I want you to grasp a little bit of it to say, if you could tell your children someday with this tax strategy you utilize, you could try to somewhat explain it to them where they'd be like, oh, that, I think that makes sense. I don't know the details, but it makes sense. That's where I would want someone to be than just blindly trusting somebody in, in such a major area of their life. Mike, thanks so much, man, for all that great advice. I mean, you got some really great strategies that we that we can all digest and kind of you know let it sit. I know Sergio's wheels are spinning. He's like, ah, I I'm see just the thinking light right like now. the education. Like, I was gonna ask. Like, I think education's a huge gap. So, I'll, what to me it sounds like there's just free money out there that I'm assuming many business owners are just missing out on because they're not engaging with folks. Like Is that a safe assumption? Like. Yeah. Taking advantage of the advanced tax strategies. Absolutely. And, it, and it's just the idea of, of tax planning in general. Again, so many people are so focused on this filing piece because that's required by law and that's important, of course. But uh, this whole tax planning piece is they're like, well, they, they just don't want to put the effort in to try to understand it. And they're missing out on things like hiring your kids, maximizing deductions, taking a home office deduction. These are all very easy and simple things. But someone's like, well, that's going to save me $100 here, maybe $800 here. And they're like, I don't want to deal with it because they think it might be riskier. They think there might be something in there. And I always just say the tax code was written the way it was for a reason. The the tax code is thousands and thousands of pages for a reason. There's areas that we as business owners or individuals in certain areas too should be taken advantage of. And it's just whether we're doing it or not. And so, yeah, I think you're exactly right. There's some people that just don't want to put maybe the time and effort into to understanding or implementing these strategies, but they're relatively easy. They're easy things to do. And that's kind of where our goal has been with our Small Business Tax Savings Podcast is just bring awareness to the tax strategies that are available to you. And we have thousands of ideas and strategies that we can implement, and they're not going to be perfect for everybody. I might meet with you guys and, and Lee might take 10 strategies and, and ditch 90. And, and Sergio, you might take 20 and ditch the rest of the 80. And, and Matt might take all of them. But there's different areas and, and everyone's going to be different. And not saying that every strategy is, is right for everybody, but there's plenty out there to pick and choose what is right for your scenario. Yeah. If the rich guys are taking advantage of it, why everyone should. Right? <laughs> exactly. And that's another thing too, Sergio, is a lot of people think the tax planning is only for the rich, that they couldn't be more wrong. We see business owners making $2,000 a year that instead of paying taxes on 2000 now we're paying it on 100 Yeah, That's savings right there that the rich are utilizing that anybody, no matter what your size is. So that's another misconception people have is, I got to be making $500,000 a year. I got to be making a million dollars a year to save on taxes. You can do it at any level. Love it. Love that. So Mike, how can people reach out to you? 
Yeah, you can find us. You can look at the website. It's taxsavingspodcast.com, taxsavingspodcast.com. And you can find our podcast, Small Business Tax Savings Podcast, on any podcasting platform. Mike, thank you for coming on the show today. Amazing advice. It was wonderful for all of us. I know our listeners are going to get a ton out of this episode. You've been listening to The Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of LinkedIn Incorporated or Microsoft Corporation. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.